Welcome to The Life of Jesus, Term 4, and Lesson 35. We are going to pick up in Chapter 5 and on page 19. Uh, this was the birth of John and Jesus foretold. And um, we looked last time at Chuck Swindle, who set the stage for us, letting us know what was actually happening with the, the government and all those things. I'm going to pick up uh, in Luke chapter 1, over the page, on page 20. And uh, let's begin there, where it says, There was in the days of Herod, also known as Herod the Great, a descendant, he was a descendant of Esau, by the way, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the uh, division of Abijah. Now, Leon Morris says that there were many priests, but only one temple. So they served on a roster. All right, so that's in First Chronicles 24, 1-6, if you want to look it up. The priests were divided into 24 divisions, and that was done by King David, of which that of Abijah was the eighth. Now, Luke continues here. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, a priest, and she was a priest's daughter, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have a priest married to a priest's daughter. And according to Leviticus 21, 4, for a priest to have a wife, of priestly stock was a special blessing for a priest. That's also the reason why the Pharisees and Sadducees accepted John the Baptist, even though he was extremely blunt and often even rude to them. You know, he just cut through all the hypocrisy, he cut through all the niceties, and he sort of looked at them and, you know, he would just nail them. We'll look at it, we'll look at all of that when we get to them. But he was the sort of person that, you know, when you look at him and you think, wow, why would they put up with somebody saying the things that he was saying? It's because of this. Because he came from priestly background. And the Pharisees are a big thing about, you know, bloodlines. <laughs> okay? That's the reason why they thought that Jesus wasn't the right bloodline. That he didn't come from the right place. You know? And why, why it was such an incredible thing. That because even though he lived his life in Nazareth, and we're going to find out later on he moved to Capernaum, which is about 40 k's from Nazareth. And had his base there. It was a beautiful area because there was the Sea of Galilee there and you could just see, you know, just gorgeous. But the thing was, for his birth, he traveled all the way down to Bethlehem, which was the city of King David. So the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. But see, they never checked that out. They only knew where he grew up and assumed that's where he was actually born. But they never... And who would do that? Who would travel, you know, three or four days down somewhere else, give birth and then come back? <laughs> it was just something you just wouldn't think of. But, um, but what I'm going to do is, uh, as, we, as we go further into this next year, uh, my intent is to put a, a, a map up on the, on the screen so you guys can actually see where everything is. Um, otherwise, we're just going to be talking about things and you will know what is going on. All right, and so I just don't want you to be in the dark about this. And by the end, you'll have this map burned in your brain. Okay. <laughs> right? And uh, what's wonderful, one good thing is that Jesus didn't travel a lot. So the whole map of all of his travels can be put on one page, and you can just see it in, and understand what he was doing, where, and why he was where he was. All right, and we'll talk about all of those things and hopefully bring some of this alive as we go along. So again, this is the reason why the Pharisees and Sadducees just accepted him. And verse 6 says, And they were both righteous, that is, Elizabeth and Zacharias, were both righteous before God, or fully pleasing 
to God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, we have to be careful when we look at that blameless, not to believe that they were perfect. There's nobody perfect. The only person that was perfect was Jesus Christ. Amen. Which qualified him to die for our sins. However, Leon Morris again says that this means, of course, that they serve God faithfully, not that they were sinless. Okay, and I think that's... And, you know, let's just stop there for just one second. Because I said that we'll talk about this today. So let's talk about it today. You can be making mistakes throughout your life. If I can put it that way. All right. Not be sinless, but be blameless. I want you to get this revelation today. Alright, this shows us something, that even though you may not be sinless, you can be blameless. The difference is in your heart. Okay, we all make mistakes, but if we are not on purpose trying to do the wrong thing, and persistently doing the wrong thing, do you understand? Now, you know, for example, if, if you don't like someone and God's saying forgive them, and you just will not forgive them, you won't even entertain the thought of forgiving them, then that's a problem. Alright? However, you could be a person that, oh my Lord, you know, I mean you just do all the, everything wrong almost, but your heart isn't to do the wrong thing. I don't know if you know some of those kind of people. Hello, okay? And, uh, but, you know, their heart is just right. They're just saying, oh God, I'm sorry, I put my foot in it again, didn't I? And you know, just in the, sometimes when they just talk, they just upset people and they don't mean to. You know what I'm saying? It's just what they're thinking. You know, I, I know somebody that's quite close to us that's like that. This person opens their mouth and can offend anybody in about two seconds. But what that person is saying is nothing of what they think they're saying. What everybody hears them saying is something totally different to what they think they're saying. And so, you know, they just got all upset with them. And, you know, and the person says, why are you upset? And they say, well, you said this. No, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that at all. Do you understand? See, that person, see, this is why we have to understand. You see, in God's side, that person is blameless because they don't know what they're doing. They're not doing anything on purpose. Because their heart is pure. And just because they have their foot in their mouth all the time, it doesn't mean that they are wanting to hurt people or wanting to say the wrong thing. They just, you know, happen to be wired a certain way. So understand something. As long as it's not in your heart to do the wrong thing, you can be blameless before God, even though you're not sinless before God. Amen? Let's move on. Verse 7. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. Now, Morris says that having served God faithfully, it made their childless state hard for them to understand. For people believed that God would bless faithful servants by giving them children. Okay? And so they were both well advanced in years, meaning that by now they were too old to have kids. This was a real dilemma. Alright? Because as far as the religious mind back then went... To have children is a blessing from God. So when somebody was seen not to have kids, the question arises, what are you doing wrong? Do you understand? Okay, Especially back then, because they don't know all the medical stuff we know today. Do you understand? So they were just very primitive in their understanding and in their judgment. This is why you know, God says, don't judge, because you don't know anything. Okay? Just leave things alone. And if you think there's a problem, pray for people. Don't judge them. 
Alright, and the reason that he says to do that is because we are in a fallen world. And things are not operating the way they should. And, you know, if you're, if you're doing without something, it may not be because you're doing something wrong. It may be because we are just living in this fallen world and everything is messed up. And you should have it. By rights you should, but you just don't. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Which is why God always says pray. Absolutely. So that the people that should receive the things that, that they should be getting will get will actually get it. Right. Do you understand? Amen? Alright. Let me read you what Chuck Swindle says here. He writes, Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias, had prayed all, uh, all their married years to have a child. But Elizabeth had been unable to conceive. Her neighbors would have called her barren, a condition often attributed to God's judgment for sin. Neither Elizabeth nor Zacharias was guilty of any greater sin than their neighbors. However, her barrenness did symbolize God's judgment on Israel's unfaithfulness. So that was really interesting. Amen? Okay, so further to this, the dictionary of biblical imagery states that the image of the barren wife is one of the Bible's strongest images of desolation and rejection. In Isaiah's prophecy, the promise that God will restore the blessedness of life is expressed through transforming the imagery of the barren land and the barren woman. In the day of restoration, the desolate land will burst into blossom, that's in Isaiah 35, 1-7, and the barren woman will sing and rejoice because of an unexpected and abundant fertility. And so when it had become clear to the both of them that there were there was absolutely no hope of ever having children, it goes on to say in verses 8 through 20. So it was that while uh, he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, which was twice a year, his division was on duty at the temple, right? According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Hendrickson points out that only once in a lifetime was a priest allowed to receive this honor. Once. So it w- if it ever fell to him again, it w- they wouldn't go in. Do you understand? That was it. You just got it once and that was the end of it. So it was a privilege shared by few. And why MacArthur says that this was a supreme moment in a lifetime of priestly service. The incense was kept burning perpetually just in front of the veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place. So you, are you getting a picture? Yeah. The, all right? Okay. So remember the most holy place is where the presence of God is. Right. You go in there, any problems, you drop dead. That's right. Okay? okay. <laughs> that place. And the whole multitude, I'm in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So the lone priest would offer the incense every morning and every evening while the rest of the priests uh, and worshippers stood outside the holy place in prayer. And so Zacharias went about his most solemn duty, and it goes on to say, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side, that's the place of favor, of the altar of incense. Let's just stop here just for a minute. Here's a couple. They have tried to have kids all their life. It hasn't happened. They have been branded as, and she, you know, she has been branded as barren. They have been branded as, what's wrong with you? Okay, you know, one's a priest's daughter, one's a priest, what's, what's going on here? Okay, and so they had got to the place where they had given up on ever having kids. Because you go through that year after year after year after year. 
Are you all with me? And after 10, 20, 30 years, you know, that's pretty much it. Now, isn't it interesting that these people and all the priests and all the people that are saying these things know about Abraham, who had kids at 100 years old? Interesting, isn't it? And yet, they don't get this. All right? And so, they're at this place where they have given... Zacharias has given up hope. Elizabeth has given up hope. Do you understand? And you need to understand this as well. They are in a hopeless state. Okay? He's burning incense. Okay? He has probably got to the place where it's like, well, God, whatever you want to do, you should have done ages ago, because it's too late now. How many times have we said that to God? It would have worked better about 20 years ago. But no, no, we, we have some other plan. I don't know what, because it doesn't work for me. But you know, it's interesting when God does something, and it's a miracle, it's a miracle. You do something and everybody will go, yeah, maybe it was God, maybe it was you. And then you get mad because they don't believe it was God. But once you cross a line, and there's absolutely no hope, and then something happens, everybody goes, that's God. We know you, you ain't that good, that's God. <laughs> do you understand? And that's the line so much of the time that God is waiting for you to cross. That's the reason why He'll ask us to do the impossible, because it's only the impossible that will let people know that God was behind it. Whenever we do what is possible, and we, we scale it down to what we can manage, then it's no longer where God wants us. So it says here again, verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> okay? These guys aren't little babies with wings and little arrow. You know little bow and arrows? You know little cupid? <laughs> that stuff doesn't exist. I, I, I think the angels throw up over that stuff. Do you understand? Because, I mean, they are magnificent creatures. They're huge. They're not, they, God did never make small angels. <laughs> Do you understand? You know, they just come yay big. They can be whatever size they want, but dear Lord, you know. Okay. And he says he was, he was troubled. And I've said here, firstly, the sudden unexpected appearance of a strong, holy, dazzling angel would cause anyone to be troubled. And secondly, the reason for his appearance would contribute to it. And why it says, in other words, he's going, why is this guy here? Do you understand? So not only is he big, but why is he here? What have I done wrong? Remember, they do this once a year. They don't know what to, once in their lifetime, they don't know what to expect. Do you hear what I'm saying? So this, there's no practice. You go in there, you mess up, an angel appears and you go, oh, that's it, I'm done for. No kids and now I'm dead. <laughs> no air, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So, and that's why it says, and fear fell upon him. Alright, so again, well I've said it there. Again, this is, this is something you do once in your entire life. Alright, had to be done perfect. And again, the appearance of an angel would, would cause you to worry. Basically is what I've said there. Alright, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Oh, I tell you what. You would have been like, Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's like, okay, you're not here to kill me. Seriously, that would be the first thought. Because angels carried out God's judgment. Whenever God judged something, the angels came down. They did it. One angel, one night, 185,000. See you later. Killed the whole army and went back up. One angel. So here's one angel. 
Are you all with me? So it's wonderful when the angel says, don't be afraid. He says, for your prayer is heard. Now it was a priest's duty to pray for peace for Israel. Here's some of the things that they prayed, okay? But it seems like Zechariah was praying for more than just peace. And while the, and why the angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So he says first, your prayer is heard. And then straight away, it doesn't say and Israel will have peace. Okay, they, were, they were meant to pray for peace for Israel, okay? But obviously the guy had other things on his mind too. Okay, I mean, he's in this place, you know. They had no kid. And it's just like, I guess the question was, why? I don't think it was... To me, everything indicates that he wasn't expecting to have a kid. He just didn't, he just wanted to know why he didn't have one. Do you, do you understand? Okay. And so, but... Look what God does. He says, uh, um, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. I, I'm just thinking, Zachariah is going, oh, wait, wait, hold, hold it, just what, one minute. Say what? If Zechariah was black, he would have said that. Okay. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, it's just like, uh, I just want to know why we didn't have kids. Uh, then, uh, have you seen how old? I have to take Iron Man food every morning, you know. <laughs> Eat my Wheaties. I don't know, something. This is not going to work. How am I going to bounce the kid on my lap? <laughs> it's like, oh, get off, kid. <laughs> you broke something. You know, we, we miss this. this. These are real people. They're living real lives. They don't just bounce out of bed into a little Superman gear and fly off to the temple and fly back. Do you understand? I mean, you know, Zechariah probably woke up that morning thinking, oh, God. Okay, back to the temple. <laughs> and then this happens. And this is being said to him. So I want you to sort of get a feel of time and age and shock. And here it comes. <laughs> okay, And he says, and you shall call his name John. Now, I've said here, note the miracle. The gender is predicted. Notice, he didn't say you're going to have a kid. He said you will have a son. That's pretty specific. Alright, and so, first thing, the gender is predicted. Second, the child is named. And also notice that both Zechariah's prayers, both Zechariah's prayers answered. First, for a child. Second, for peace. Because the child would be the forerunner of the Prince of Peace. Interesting, isn't it? Huh? That's why the, the angel goes in to say, And you will have joy and gladness. Alright, that's having his personal prayer answered. And many will rejoice at his birth. That's the nation's prayer being answered. Do you understand? Because the nation was looking for peace. They were looking for God's intervention. Verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Boy, that's, that's huge when the angel says that. Alright, and Matthew 11, 11, Jesus would say of John, Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So that's pretty huge. And says, And shall drink neither wine, that's made from grapes, nor strong drink made from grain. And since the Nazarite vow is never mentioned, John was a in a unique position. Neither Nazarite nor priest, though with points of connection to both. Do you understand? So what, what's happening now is very interesting. He's being sanctified, separated to God's work and being given very clear direction about how he's going to grow up. Do you understand? This is huge. Alright, so. Uh, 
He will also be filled, I'm still in verse 15, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now that was incredible. Because usually you get, you know, you get filled with the Spirit when you receive the Lord, and you, know, you receive the Spirit, and so on and so forth. But this one, in his mother's womb, he's going to be filled with the Spirit. Alright, meaning that from the very beginning of life and to the very end, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Remember they're looking for peace, they're looking for restoration. There it is, okay? So meaning that many of the children of Israel were no longer believers. And this is a key thing. Because he says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, to turn them to the Lord their God means they have turned away. From the Lord their God. Amen. And he's saying he's going to bring them back. This is a beautiful prophecy. Through John's ministry, salvation for Israel was finally at hand. Verse 17. He will go before him, in that's God, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Alright, now, it didn't say that he was Elijah. Okay? He's not Elijah. Since John himself said in uh, John 1.21, when they asked him, Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Okay, so that ends that. We had this debate at one church once, and they said, was John the Baptist Elijah, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, listen to the man's words. He said, I am not. Amen. That's the end of it. Okay. However, like Elijah, John the Baptist was known for his bold, uncompromising stand for the Word of God. And his task to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's a quote from Malachi 4.6. Alright, indicating that godly family unity and harmony would be restored. And the disobedient, these are the religious leaders, to the wisdom of the just, forcing them to repent. This is what he's going to do. And the next thing he says he's, is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. One of the problems, notice how he said he'll turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord, which means the hearts of the people had turned away. The religious leaders were all corrupt by then. All right, obviously, and one of the things that happens is once you turn away from God, then your family unity and harmony go down the drain. I don't know whether people realize it or not, but it is God that keeps things together. It is God that speaks to the husband to say, you know, you're neglecting your wife, do more for her. It is God that speaks to the wife and says, you're missing things that he's saying. It is God that speaks to both of you and saying, you're missing your children's growing up. They're, they're crying out for help right now, and they're going to go do all the wrong things if you don't intervene right now. Those are the things that come into our life. Those are the things that allow us to catch things before the enemy can get his hands on, you know, either of us or our kids. But when God's not there, there's silence. And the enemy can work unhindered. Do you understand? And so that's why John was coming in. He was going to do a fair bit of work. He was going to start bringing in that unity back. He's going to help people hear God. You see, you know how he's, he talks about repentance? The thing he's asking them to do is turn away from their having turned away from God. I used a double negative. I hope you got that. <laughs> okay? He's saying turn away from your disobedience. Turn back to obedience. Repentance isn't like, oh, okay, I'm saved now. It wasn't that. It was to say, God, we're sorry we turned away from you. We're turning back to you. You talk, we'll listen. So let me share this with you. John understood that he didn't need to teach them everything to do. Because you can't follow them home. And you can't tell them, oh, now you're doing that wrong, sister. And, uh, oh, you're not, that, that's not the right thing to do there, brother. And, you know... <laughs> Like he can do that. He understood his job. What did it say? 
His job was to turn the hearts of the people to God, so that God could start talking again. I've said this before, God's always talking, we're just not listening. Do you understand? We will never get to heaven and blame God for not saying enough. And saying, God, you should have said something. God would have said, I had a megaphone in your ear, but you didn't want to hear. That's all he's ever going to say to us. Are you all here? So that's what John understood. He wasn't their savior. He was going to point to the one that would save and the one that was coming. Hallelujah. Okay? That said he wouldn't even be able to tie his sandal straps, which was what it was the lowest job a servant could do. And he said he wasn't even worthy of that job. Because he understood that was God. Okay, so, back to this. All right, I, hope, I hope you understood all that. And so that's why it says, and, and to make a people already a people prepared for the Lord. For example, in Matthew 3, 2, John required, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to talk about that statement as well. Alright, verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? Or literally, how can I be sure of this? Bad question. When you've got an angel talking to you about all of this, when you've got an angel answering all of your prayers, you don't question. What is the first thing that we are to do? The just shall live by faith. Not doubt and unbelief. <laughs> okay? Not questionings and, how is that going to work? It's by faith. Amen? Alright, and so anyway, he's, now here it comes. Here are all the reasons. Remember I told you they gave up. They had just totally given up. Here it comes, alright? He says, for I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. It's, it's another way of saying, I'm old, she's old, we're both old. Even if I was, you know, she's still old. <laughs> okay? We're both old. There's a lot of stuff there. Okay. Now Hendrickson says that Zechariah's response amounted to, Lord, <laughs> he says, I don't believe you. For people as old as we are do not become parents. That's basically what he's saying. And that was not the right thing for a priest to say to an angel of God, especially knowing the story of Abraham and Sarah, as I mentioned before. In fact, Leon Morris, in his commentary, says that it amounts to a demand for a sign, which Zacharias was certainly going to get. He said, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Not the kind you want, but I'm giving you one anyway. <laughs> Verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Alright, this is significant because according to Revelation 8.2, only seven angels can stand before God. Isn't that interesting? Of all the trillions of angels, seven can stand in His presence. And He's going, I'm one of the seven. And you're giving me lip? <laughs> okay? Alright? And He says, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But... Behold, or literally from, from the literal text, he says, And now mark well. You will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words. Did you see that? He said, because you didn't believe my words. You didn't. You chose not to believe what I'm saying. I'm going to shut you up. And he says, which will be fulfilled in their own time or literally their proper time. All right. In short, as Leon Morris puts it, Gabriel leaves no room for uncertainty. What God has said will come to pass. All right. As to why the angel Gabriel 
thought it important to silence Zechariah was probably because of what Proverbs 18.21 says, and that this death and life are in the power of the tongue. He could have brought death to God's miracle. Listen to this. If he couldn't, Gabriel would have said, you know what, just whatever, and walked off. But Gabriel looked at him and said, I, I need to shut you up. You've got death coming out of your mouth. We need life here. Amen? And you don't know what he would have said to his wife to convince her otherwise as well. I mean, what if Elizabeth said, Whoo, I feel something moving. Good. Oh, you, it's your imagination. Don't be stupid, woman. We're old. It's amazing how you can kill your own miracle with your own mouth when it's trying to manifest. That's why it says, And those who love it will eat its fruit. And what's more, in the case of Zacharias, according to the Apostle James, in James 1.26, is if anyone considered himself, himself religious. Now listen. Does Zechariah consider himself religious? Yeah, he's a priest. Catch this now. So this is not some weird scripture. Alright? He's saying if, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep tight rein on his tongue... He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Did you catch that? So when you look at Zacharias, what can you say? His religion is worthless. At this stage, later on, he's going to come on board. <laughs> okay, Nine months of shutting up okay, and thinking about what God's actually doing and not getting in the way of God is going to change that man. Amen. Sometimes it's, I think it's important that we shut up. And listen to God. Because you know what you know. Everybody knows what you know. Because you're always talking. Just hush up. Amen. Because when you're not talking, you're learning. You never learn anything while you talk. And that's exactly what the angel Gabriel was dealing with. A religious person who didn't have a tight rein on his tongue. And according to Proverbs 18.21, could destroy everything that was divinely being set in motion. Now we're going to stop there, have a break, a very short one because I don't want you guys to...